Hey everyone, it's Kyle Bumgarner here with the Orthodoxical Podcast. I am excited to bring you this episode with Jaina Duckenfield. Jaina is a friend of a friend. She's actually the friend of Micah, who you may have heard on last season's uh, podcast episode near the uh, end of the first season. But Jaina is awesome. She's super smart, super thoughtful and knowledgeable. And we got into the subject of biblical womanhood. Uh, Definitely a very... uh, controversial, uh, disputed phrase in many ways that uh, people have a lot of thoughts and conversations about it. And so Jaina and I decided that we would add our own take to uh, all of this. And so please listen in. As always, like, rate, and subscribe. And we will dive into this episode with Jaina Duckenfield. and welcome back to the Orthodox School Podcast. My name is Kyle Bumgarner and I'm your host. And today I am joined by a friend of a friend who I'm hoping will become a new friend of mine. Uh, I've really enjoyed her her Instagram presence. She's really fun and really funny. And in addition to that, Jaina, who is on the the podcast right now, she is the um, internship coordinator or internship placement recruiter for RUF. And she also helps with care and transition as RUF, which for those of you who don't know, Reformed University Fellowship is a college ministry that uh, is in colleges all over the United States. So Jane is in charge of recruiting people for that particular internship and then helping them get transitioned into their roles there. She is also an author. She wrote a book called Humbleton, which you can pick up uh, at, at Amazon. And uh, she is based in Atlanta right now. So Jana, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I'm pumped to be here. Pumped. Yes, you really are one of my favorite Instagram follows. Oh, I appreciate that. I love, I, you know, goofing off on the gram. <laughs> I, I really enjoy your, your antics, um, particularly when Micah is featured as well. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jaina, could you give us a brief overview of your own sort of spiritual and theological journey, like maybe where you came from and then where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a Christian home, uh, which was a blessing. And I really, really enjoyed that. and thought it was a great experience. Um, And I'm super thankful for that background. Um, Around the age of five, I prayed, you know, the classical prayer. ABC prayer? Yep. Yep. One of those. I didn't really want to go to hell. So I was like, okay, what do I have to do to not I really wanted the armor of God. Yeah. I I read Ephesians 6 and I was like, wait, so if I pray this prayer, I get that? I I can get like shoes. And a breastplate and, and a, a helmet. Sword. Yeah. I was I'm like, so I, I want that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I prayed that at five and my mom was like, uh, so do you feel any different? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, you should. And I said, well, I don't. Um, and so it was this weird kind of uh, knowledge that I had of the Lord for, you know, my coming of age years, but I didn't necessarily have like a personal relationship with the Lord. I knew exactly what to say and what to do because I went to a Christian school and all of that. Um, but anytime that my parents would talk about the Lord or talking about praying through problems or trusting in him, I was just kind of averse to that. I didn't really want to hear it. Um, and we had moved when I was 11. And so we were going to a different church and I 
didn't like it. It I just felt it was weird for a myriad of reasons. Um, now that I'm older theologically, I'm curious as to what we were actually a part of, but um, it was very, very strange. And eventually my parents were also um, coming to the conclusion that it was not a good time. So I just really didn't want to go to church. And I was like, I don't really, like, I know that God exists and he is there and that's awesome, but I'm just going to do my own thing effectively. Um, but then at 14, a friend of mine from school uh, came to me and she was telling me about her youth group and how awesome it was. And she was different. And that seems so cliche to say, right? Like, I noticed something different about her and I wanted what she had. Um, but it's really true. She was joyful and she um, was really enthusiastic about things and she really loved the Lord. That was so obvious and it wasn't fake. Um, and so I went to church with her and as one particular Sunday youth group, uh, the pastor said something. I don't even remember exactly what he said, but it was during a Hillsong song, classic. Um, and I really felt like the Lord said, Jana, you've been living your life without me and you can't do that. And I said, you're right. I, I can't. Okay. So I, um, really took my faith seriously. Um, but I, even then I didn't have a concept of sin or grace or, um, my brokenness. Like I knew that I was a sinner because it's a requirement to become a Christian. Right. But I wasn't doing, you know, the, the big things, like I wasn't going out and drinking and drinking drugs and doing it. Right. Exactly. That, that was not what I was doing. I was a goody, goody two shoes, little Christian school girl. Um, so then when I went to college and I started going to RUF, um, that my roommate brought me to, we had studied the story of the prodigal son in the Bible study. And even though I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in the church, I had no idea there were two brothers in the story of the prodigal son. No idea. I thought there was just the one younger brother. Mm. And I found out about the older brother and I realized that was me to a T. Um, and so my concept of my own sin and brokenness, but then also of the Lord's grace and forgiveness just expanded dramatically. Um, and I, yeah, was exposed to the true gospel and I, um, was forever changed truly. And I started coming into an understanding of reformed theology through a Bible study that I took my sophomore year, um, and just have been kind of in that reformed, but also emotional and free <laughs> realm of, um, my faith ever since then. And yeah, it's been a journey like it has been for everybody, but that's kind of a bit of a, a background there. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Of course. So how did you end up then in your current position now where you're working with RUF? Yeah. So I, like I said, was involved with RUF as a student and I loved it, um, became pretty heavily um, a part of the RUF at App State where I went to school. And then I found out that there's an internship program and that you didn't have to be selected to be a part of it. You could just apply and, you know, talk to your campus minister, make sure that it was a good fit for you. And so I decided to do that because I thought to myself um, that I don't think I'm ready to go out into the real world, quote unquote. Um, I was like, I feel like I have a lot of growing to do. Um, I'm not quite sure what I want to do, but I do know that I love people and I love RUF and I love Jesus. So let's give that a shot. So I did the internship for two years. And then after I completed the internship, uh, my current boss offered me the position that I have now. Um, and so I took it and here we are almost four years later. Very cool. So one of the reasons you and I were 
talking about when you were coming on the podcast, we were like, what do you want to talk about? And you said the phrase biblical womanhood, mm-hmm. which I'm sure as soon as I've said that people are like either breaking out in hives or <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting ready Swaying to either. Yeah. They're like getting ready to either turn off their podcast or they're getting ready to just turn it up to see what we have to say. Yeah. So, sure. so I'm, I'm just curious, when was the first time that you even encountered that phrase biblical womanhood? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I'm sure that I heard it growing up um, in terms of, you know, everyone goes to the reference of Proverbs 31, you know, um, and that's kind of where um, everything comes to be. But I feel like the first time that I really heard it a ton was maybe in early college, I would say. Um just there was a bunch of like different plugs for conferences about you know what it means to be a biblical woman and all of that so yeah i would say like early college it's interesting because i would say the same thing i don't think i ever heard it growing up but i definitely remember i think even late college was probably the first time that i heard this is what it means typically for i mean for me it was typically this is what it means to be a biblical man and Mm -hmm. and these are the the traits of manhood that you're supposed to exude and then these are kind of the traits of of biblical womanhood by extension Mm -hmm. and I I think it was it was maybe just life experience up to that point or I don't know growing up in the home that I grew up in but Mm -hmm. it just it never really I was always kind of like well that seems wrong (laughs) you know like it just kind of seemed like I was like that well anyway well I mean I'm sure we'll get into that but it it just seemed very like counterintuitive or or Mm -hmm. not really you know I was like oh this just doesn't seem correct anyway Mm -hmm. so um what to you what are some of the core tenets of biblical womanhood and that can be either yeah do with that what you will yeah yeah so gosh that's a the core tenets so here's the thing i think to be to core tenets of being a biblical woman are core tenets of being a follower of jesus Mm -hmm. i don't think that they are different at all Mm -hmm. um and so i think someone i mean you can look at the fruit of the spirit right you know loving joyful patient kind um self-controlled all of those things um but i do think someone that is um prayerful i think that a biblical woman is prayerful i think that a biblical woman is is kind um i think that she is strong and that doesn't necessarily mean that she is in the gym lifting a zillion weights which she totally can be um but i think strong and fervent um in her faith someone that loves the lord obviously someone that loves people um someone that wants to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with the Lord. Like I said, so all of these things, um, they're, they're tenets of being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, not just a woman. Um, so I don't think that they're necessarily different. Yeah. And so to me, I hear that and I'm like, yes, like those are the things that, like you said, it, it doesn't really necessarily matter how mm-hmm. you identify in terms of your gender those are things that as a christian you're called to do no matter what mm-hmm. um what 
What would you say, I guess, then would be some of the core tenets of biblical womanhood as it's as it's defined in because you're someone who's been in more reformed mm-hmm. sort of circles so what are some of the ways that you've seen biblical womanhood defined in, in sort of those kind of spheres yeah that's really interesting because i feel like you know the term biblical womanhood it's gone all over the place in terms of its definition and even in its spheres but what what i've seen most commonly it seemed like the word purity comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I think um, the word modesty also comes up a lot. Um, I think that whether it's intentional or not, um, someone that is slow to speak and not just because they are watching their tongue because they're angry, but slow to speak in general. Um, tends to be discovered. I don't won't necessarily say that it's named out loud, but that's definitely discovered. Um, the word meek, um, you know, soft, all of these things that would equate a woman to effectively sounding and looking like Snow White hmm. uh, is often what the case is. I do think that that's changing, but a strong woman with opinion seems to be a threat in some circles. And that's that's a shame. That makes me sad. Yeah, definitely. Then what, so we have these two sort of competing visions of mm-hmm. biblical womanhood. How, how did these things kind of come to be? How did they end up? You have one that has very little to do with the ideas of purity or meekness or modesty and one where it's kind mm-hmm. of like your role as a woman is essentially to, dress modestly enough to not distract your brothers in Christ, but also mm-hmm. attract a husband and then not exactly. really say anything. And kind of, how, do, how does it come to be that we have these two sort of competing visions? Yeah, that I honestly don't know, right? Like a full answer, but I do think that it has something to do and it's less with looking at scripture and more with looking at culture, which is mm. a shame. I think that, you know, when you look at culture, what the woman was supposed to be, you know, think of a 1950s housewife Mm -hmm. um, that has carried through. So it's carried through history. And so that's someone that, you know, might not be super educated, stays at home, has the babies, is barefoot in the kitchen, cooking, doing anything to serve her husband. You know, she's only there to serve. That's all she's there to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we move later into culture and, you know, we have women's right to vote and all of these things. And then even now with feminist movement, women can do whatever they want and they can be whatever they want. And I think that's great. Um, And so I think that a lot of times what we tend to do is we take culture's definition of womanhood and then we just sprinkle the Bible over top of it and sprinkle sprinkle the gospel over top of it versus looking at the gospel first, looking at scripture first and then seeing how we can play that out in culture. And so I think that we have two competing sides of womanhood more because of culture and less because of a direct look into scripture. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I, I can definitely see where kind of that 1950s prescription of, of like the perfect family, how that mm-hmm. it influences that a lot mm-hmm. related to that. What were, what are some of the messages that you've heard related to these ideas of biblical womanhood it could either be the one that you sort of gave or the one that is a little bit more um culture driven i guess yeah uh messages that i've heard um i think that 
yet being being a servant is really important. And I I'm an Enneagram too. And so Me too. I so you get it. You know, yeah. helping others, serving, mm-hmm. that is a delight of mine. Mm-hmm. Um however, the expectation that I have to do it because I'm a woman mm-hmm. uh is hard. For example, I think we've not I won't say that everybody has had this, but I've definitely had experiences where, you know, I'm in church and an elder or something will come in and say, I need some guys help lifting these tables and no one, they never ask the women. Um, and if I ask for something to do, it's like, Oh, well you can go, you can watch the children while they're doing that. Or you can set up the food on the table once we bring the tables in. Hmm. Um, and so there's already this implicit instruction that I am weaker, um, to the man, um, in the church. There is, you know, the, the subliminal message that I might not be able to, understand a particular theological concept or um, a discussion that's happening. And so we need to get the opinion of the man in the church as we, you know, navigate and tell the body or have this meeting. Um, And so whether it's intentional or unintentional, I think that I've definitely received the message that my position is slightly lower than the man's position because I just simply cannot do what he can do. And that's not to say that our roles are meant to be the exact same, because I do think that there's specific instructions, you know, like how laid out in Genesis for men and women. But that's not to say that I am lesser than he because of my biological makeup. Yeah, it's interesting that you're the examples you just gave. None of them were actually from a pulpit, because when mm-hmm. I when I hear and I, I read things, there's a lot of people who say, our pastor specifically preached this, or I heard this message during youth group or something like that, but your Mm. examples were specifically just day-to-day like interactions almost, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting to me. Did you ever Mm -hmm. hear anything like from like, did you ever hear specific sermon series on it or, or things in, in RUF training or or anything like that? Yeah. I, I think that if I, if I have, it was within a larger context of a message. And so it wasn't directly like, we're going to talk about women or we're going to talk about men. And I think that definitely has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel as though, gosh, from the pulpit, I, when I think of people in authority that have spoken to me about how I should act as a woman, I can think of teachers from school and maybe some like guest preachers that have basically said that I need to cover my body all of the time right. and yeah. not tempt anyone around me. Um, if I can think of anything, I can't think of an ex- explicit example, but I do have, you know, vague memories of that idea coming from those in authority. Yeah. Were there any sort of specific uh, scriptures or theology that was used to back that up? Was there anything, did you have anybody like immediately go to like first Timothy two or, you know, first Corinthians or something like that? Mm. Honestly, what, what sticks out to me so much, it is the Proverbs 31. Mm. Um, and just talking about that. But the funny thing is, is that as I've gotten older and looking at that scripture, there's so many action verbs in that proverb. Mm -hmm. There's so many action verbs. Yes, there are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, action verbs are active. They're not passive. And so it's fascinating. And of course, you know, people will go to Esther and Ruth, but even then you look at these women and there's so much strength. There's so much dignity. There's so much um intentionality um 
Yeah, I really, uh, the, bi the big one that I can think of that's like really kind of shaped and I've had to unlearn in terms of how to think of myself as a biblical woman is really just Proverbs 31 and all of it about doing everything to become a wife, essentially. It's interesting because I think Proverbs 31 in a lot of ways is invoked as sort of the positive affirmation of biblical mm -hmm. womanhood. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure that I heard that growing up or, or through college or whatever, but I also, I have distinct uh, memories of hearing the negative, which would be the first Timothy two, the first, I, I remember going to a church with, mm -hmm. I, I led Young Life in college. And so I, I went to church with one of my Young Life kids at, at his like church that was kind of in his area. Mm -hmm. And he, there was, they had a female pastor. Um, mm -hmm. And I came back and was like telling, you know, and it was a very, uh, it was a very charismatic church. It was very, yeah. um, kind of slain in the spirit sort of church. And mm -hmm. I remember I, I was coming back and I was telling uh, one of my friends about it. And, you know, I was like, yeah, it was interesting. We did this and that. And, the, and then the pastor, she was like, and he was like, wait, she? I was like, dude, like, you gotta, you gotta watch that a little bit. Cause you know, like first, and I was like, what? And again, mm -hmm. like I'd read the Bible or I'd, well, I read the New Testament a lot. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I was yeah, I like you're a Christian kid, you grew up, they're like, ah, Old Testament, we'll figure that out. Right. We don't know how to tell you about that yet without yeah. shocking you. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so I I get there and I, I open it up and it's like women aren't permitted to teach. And I was like, and I, I just had all this yeah. conflicts of emotions because I was like, wait a minute. I, I'm on a Young Life team with women that are teaching the Bible to, right, right. to kids. I'm like, this is why are we, I'm just, I was just so confused in a lot of ways yeah. and took a yeah. minute to, to work through that. But yeah, I feel it. So it's interesting that your experience of it has been more the Proverbs 31. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, here's, here's a good thing to aspire to mm -hmm. rather than, hey, you're, you know, you're not permitted to teach or like cover your head and don't mm -hmm. wear nice jewelry when you come to church, basically. Right, right. Which is so, it's so interesting. And I think it, it's this weird feeling as a woman because, you know, one day I do hope to be married and to have a family and I want to do all of these things that, you know, kind of fit into the Proverbs 31 description. But I think the danger of it is it presenting it in such a way where it's like, this is your only option as a biblical woman, you can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And even if that was subliminal or you know an unconscious message, I think that's a lot of what I've heard is growing up. And so really for a while, I thought that's all that I could do. Like that is, that is the track that I'm on. That's the only thing I can do. And then honestly, as I read scripture and expanded my knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus, I realized that there are so many things that I can do that I'm capable do, to do that I'm permitted to do that I have done um, in the name of Jesus as a woman, which is so beautiful. And so what a shame it is to limit um, a child of God into just one category, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, it's, it's something that, and it's interesting to me because I think, and this kind of plays into my next question, but I, I think that there are differences in, in the ways that people sort of, people who have a more, what we would call a complementarian theology, they kind of, mm -hmm. people consider that and apply it in different ways. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, as somebody who's who's been in a couple different spaces, what your memory of those spaces were in terms of um, in terms of how they preached that sort of message about women being like the supportive housewife versus you yeah. can kind of do whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's funny because I grew up um, very familiar with women pastors. That was not uh, new to me. That was not weird. I grew up kind of similar, like you were talking about your friend that had a charismatic church, very familiar with that as well. Um, and so that was normal to me. And I didn't know that there was scripture against mm-hmm. um, women being uh pastors and teaching and all of that but then when I moved and I especially in college and you know coming into reformed theology and being part of the PCA and realizing that that was an issue um that really threw me for a loop and so I had to kind of question myself in that way and figure out like okay what do I think scripture says what what do I believe and it's still honestly like it's a hard um it's a hard balance for me but um uh yeah it was it was interesting because I do have some memories of women in my life, specifically black women in my life, teaching from the pulpit, talking about things other than, um, like I said, serving your husband or being a good friend or just all of these kind of like meek attributes. Like I do have memories of them talking about justice and uh, strength and dignity and sanctification. And, you know, so I saw that. And then realizing, oh, women are capable of talking about those types of things other than just, you know, serving a husband, like I said, or sexuality or modesty, whatever it is. And so um, I do miss getting to hear from strong women from the pulpit or or, um, in positions of authority that are teaching, um, yeah, more holistic subjects. That's so interesting that you've kind of almost gone through a, I feel like a lot of people kind of move in the other direction. I certainly have like, well, Uh and not that I was ever, I don't think it, I definitely was a late bloomer when it came to anything theological. Mm -hmm. I thought I was like, there's, there's like Catholic church, which is stuffy and boring. And then there's my church. That was like my only (laughs) conception of, and my church is lasers and, crazy yep. kind of worship. And I was like, that's the only kind of church there is. And then I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's so many there's different kinds. So many others. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't think I really was ever kind of like that, but it is interesting to me that I don't even, even that being the case, the church that I grew up in, it's kind of become a meme now where they talk about mm. churches that like appear very non-denominational Sure. But are actually mm-hmm. Southern Baptist. Like yep, that, yep. that is a hundred percent my church. Very totally. they changed their name from Mount Ararat Baptist Church to the Mount. Uh mm. very, Classic. very much still a, a Southern Baptist church. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And amazing. and so but it, it, you know, it's interesting because even even though we didn't have women pastors, the mm-hmm. the woman's the or the the children's minister at our church who was a woman would mm-hmm. would frequently preach from mm-hmm. the from the pulpit and and women would come in and speak and do panels and and, and stuff yeah. during our uh during our meeting or during you know during our service and so it was interesting to me 
it, it was odd to me. And then, you know, Young Life hearing women speak and, and right. camp speakers and stuff like that. It was, yep. I was like, so we're saying this and I'm like, maybe I'm just not understanding the particular, and I'm learning this now that people have different ideas of what it means to be a pastor. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and kind of what that looks like or an elder or versus, mm-hmm. you know, these sorts of things, which again, tipping my hat, I think some of those are kind of arbitrary, but mm-hmm. what, so I guess, my question from that is what, I guess, where do you find yourself now kind of being, mm-hmm. you know, having grown up seeing women in authority and preaching about mm-hmm. these different things, but now you're, you're in a more reformed space that is a little bit more, um, I guess, complementarian or conservative for lack of a better term. Yeah. So that is hard to answer because as I've become more of who hopefully the Lord is calling and growing me to be um, as I am, you know, being sanctified by the spirit. There are things in myself that I'm realizing that I enjoy, that I am capable of um, questions that I have about scripture. Um, And so for a very brief segment of my life, I was in seminary and I did take a class um, and it was a systematic theology class. And so we talked about the roles of, you know, men and women in the church. Hmm. And um, my professor specifically uh, went to scripture that allowed us to see that there can be women deacons like in Acts. Oh gosh, is it six? I think it's Acts six. Um, it's in the book of Acts. So I'm positive about that, but evidence for uh, women being deacons, but then also evidence against it. And then, you know, going into <clears throat> later in the new Testament talking about the roles of like elders and what, what they are called to do and who can fill those roles. And so I think in seeing that scripture, I am okay with women not being pastors um, in terms of leading the congregation, preaching every Sunday, um, doing care. Like I am okay with that. Um, But what I'm not okay with is not allowing women to have any sort of leadership role in the church or any right. sort of care. Yeah. Um, I do believe that it is okay for women to teach. I think that it would be okay for a woman to lead a co-ed small group. I don't think that the, um, the Holy Spirit is only specifically moving in men and not in women. The same Holy Spirit that is in me is the same Holy Spirit that's in you, mm-hmm. man and woman. And so I, I don't think that there's a limitation there. I do believe that um, the Lord has designed men and women differently to do specific things. And so there are some things that perhaps I'm going to submit to, even if I don't fully understand underneath the authority of the Lord that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And that's okay. Um, I mean, even people get upset about in scripture, right? Like um, uh, if you call upon the name of the Lord, like he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved or reference to men holistically in terms of, you know, saying like you all, yeah. um, including men and women. But I had a pastor tell me, you know, men, like we're called the bride of Christ. So yes, women, you might be referred to as men in terms of like a group, but we're all the bride of Christ. And that's typically, you know, a female term. And so, hmm. yeah, I think I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I want to abide by scripture I don't want to infuse my own cultural and personal um, wants into scripture, but I also don't want to just assume that what I'm reading is what I was told growing up. So I really do want to look at it and study it. Um, so yeah, again, 
I'm okay with women not being pastors, but I'm not okay with them not having leadership in the church because we need women's opinions, making decisions and teaching as well. We have a lot to say. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how, again, kind of going back, how churches kind of work that out where, you know, women will like I went to Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville for a while, which is a PCA church. And, Mm -hmm. and there, you know, I guess uh, this was several years ago now, but I guess like they started having women, excuse me, they started having women uh, serve communion and, Mm. and uh, lead kind of the order of worship and, Mm -hmm. and do things like that. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle, it seems with, with kind of that. And, Mm-hmm. You know, like the Presbyterians, of course, they were like, okay, you want to be upset about this? Here's, you know, they, right. they wrote like a whole, probably like pamphlet being like, well, we see in this scripture and then in, in this scripture, the Greek here. And then it was right. like, what could you say against kind of, right? what right. would you say against these people? They kind of like, they came with the, hey, you know, we're not making these women pastors, but we're also like, if you want to say that women should not do any of these things, here's all of these examples kind of saying the opposite, which was really mm-hmm. funny to me. Presbyterians, mm-hmm. man. Gosh. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I love, I love the PCA. The PCA is where I learned to um, love the local church in all of its brokenness and love it holistically. It's really mm-hmm. where I, I grew, but man, there are some things that I think that we can, we can ease up on a little bit and um, allow some, emotion and just not so much staunch, uh, you know, uppityness to, to control. You don't have to have a, a five point theological treatise for every decision we make. You mean? Right. No, we don't. And it, it is okay. There are three members of the Trinity. The Holy spirit is a member of the Trinity and spiritual warfare is a thing. And the Holy spirit is living and active in men and women. Yeah. There's, you know, the list goes on, but I do. Your, I do love it. Your roommate makes a joke that Presbyterians like to say the Trinity is three in one: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You just like <laughs> you just like whisper it. <laughs> like, yes, yes. That's essentially what it is. That is that is what it is. It's oh it's so gosh. funny. It's so funny. <laughs> so, back to um, kind of talking about biblical womanhood and stuff. In your experience, is this phrase just more common in reform spaces? Um, and I know that you're, you've kind of, that's kind of been more of your trajectory, like you haven't had as much outside of that. Um, but do you think it's more common in, in quote unquote reform spaces or just conservative spaces in general, would you say? Mm, I would probably say conservative spaces in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the phrase biblical womanhood the most that i've seen it i mean it's come up a bunch recently on twitter and it's been mostly in reformed circles but i think definitely conservatively uh but i think the phrase you know like woman of god that kind of applies across the board um and i think that both those phrases should be synonymous but i definitely think that yeah biblical womanhood is is more of a conservative outlook yeah, it's interesting. So have you, with the stuff on Twitter, because I've been following it a little bit, I, I know a lot of it kind of pertained to Amy Bird's new book. Yeah. Have you heard about that? I haven't actually, no. Oh, it's called, so, I, and I can't remember who, I think it was Wayne Grudem and John Piper 
mm. that that crew kind of wrote they wrote a book called biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and then mm. there was like a there's the council for biblical manhood and biblical womanhood which right you know whatever um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then, so Amy Bird writes in kind of in response to their book, writes recovering from manhood and uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Mm. And basically looking at kind of the, some of the stuff that we were talking about where, hey, this looks like it was more based on a particular cultural ideal from right. the mid 20th century than it was actually right. based on a particular scripture thing. Right. And it kind of came forward that there were people in these online reformed Facebook groups and stuff like that, that were just lighting her up mm. and, and like just being, I mean, it was like sickeningly misogynistic. And, mm. and so, and, and a lot of them were, I think she's, uh, I think she's Orthodox Presbyterian church. Mm. Um, and, and so I think that there are a lot of people in that denomination, but it was, <clears throat> it was just wild to see yeah. how different it was. And so I was wondering if there was something like specifically in reformed theology, that's like people just like the claws come out, people are just mm. vicious, you know? Yeah. Gosh. Against women specifically or? Against, I mean, essentially, and it's weird because that's the weird thing to me is that Amy Bird is a complementarian. Yeah, she's not she's not somebody who's like hard charging women need to be leading churches and all these uh -huh. things. She was literally just saying kind of what you just said of women should be given greater roles in the church and greater uh, responsibilities to steward. And, and mm -hmm. you know, we need to be thought of as your sisters in Christ and protected. And there, I mean, yeah. there were so many things in that, in these Facebook groups, which like reformed Facebook groups are just the worst sometimes. It's, I know, it's wild. But they, I mean, they were just like, she's, I mean, talking about her appearance, being like, she's looking really manly and she needs to go back to like the kitchen Ooh. and Ooh, she no, no, needs no, no, to, no. um, you know, her husband, it needs to like rein her in. No, no, no. And yeah, it was, it was just really nasty, you know, and it just kind of got me started thinking. I was like, I, I don't know if this is something where this is like a, a more like reformed sort of thing where people are like, because reformed people just really love their theology, right? That they're, they're yeah. kind of like, okay, like this is a theological thing. It's a theological treatise that right. women cannot preach and anything that comes close to that I have to like viciously take down yeah. or is this just like a conservative we have this sort of theology in general and we just need to you know like our our basically our culture is influencing our theology and we and we need to be defensive of that culture right oof oof gosh it's probably in some ways a both and right yeah um like I definitely think that I have seen people take their theology and use that as the lens through which they see the world. Mm -hmm. And- um, Which is what we all kind of do. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And to some extent, like that makes sense and we, and we should, um, but I think it's, it's definitely used in defense of, I mean, I've seen theology used in defense of misogyny. I've seen it used in defense of racism. I've, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things. And so right. 
that's not okay. Um, and I mean, <laughs> sin isn't, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not, it doesn't just stick with one group of people, right? Like it's not just, okay, yeah. just reformed people are sinners or just yeah. um, those that are Baptists are sinners. And so it, it goes across the board. I think that right. it's really easy to find when it comes to um, this weird evidence of misogyny and um, skewed views of biblical womanhood. I think it's easy to find in reform circles because of the devout theology and how historically it's just been so evidenced against or evidenced um, and brought about by man. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's a, it's a both and it's a, it's a both and, but I think sometimes I tend to quit conservative and reformed as one and the same. And I know that they're not, but they do like, there's a lot that's closely aligned there. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good point is that it just because, you have a certain sort of theology or you engage in a certain theology that, you know, it's not necessarily one-to-one with your political beliefs. And right. I, and part of me like thinks that I think a lot of times like the voices that are the loudest in, um, in the sort of like reformed world, you know, mm-hmm. voices like, you know, like desiring God, gospel coalition right. or, or stuff yep. like that are typically the ones that are kind of parroting these more, cultural definitions of of womanhood manhood and stuff like that but that doesn't mean that there aren't reformed people that have right. you know different opinions on that so that's a good thing exactly. to remember it's a good yeah. point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so now we're going to segue to a, a, a fun exciting part of these Ooh. this topic would be how how have you received these messages of biblical womanhood as as a black woman Oof. In a predominantly, uh, in a, a in a predominantly white dom- denomination, yeah, and B just in a predominantly anti-black society. Oof. Gosh, sometimes I feel as though my entire existence is unwelcome, mm. um, which is a shame. Yeah, and so I think there there are definitely things there are phrases there are cultural um habits that i have as a black woman that seem as though they're not allowed because um they don't fit in with the majority white society i mean even like i've been i've been worried sometimes with the way that i style my hair going into certain spaces because i'm wondering people are going to assume something about me Mm. um even with the clothes that i wear whether they are baggy or tighter fitting what people are going to say or assume because I'm a black woman. Mm. Um, what, um, how I speak and the things that I want to talk about, um, people are going to question. And so I feel like I have to work harder to prove not only that I am a woman worthy of respect, but I'm a black woman worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating to have to do double work in order to fit into um, a larger picture that just isn't used to seeing yet black people, black women, period. So it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, 
that sucks. Yeah. And that's yeah. the understatement of the year. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so are there parts of the, are there parts of the, the sort of uh, the tenets of biblical womanhood, kind of the more like conservative aspects that we talked about that kind of just hit you a little bit harder as a black woman? Mm, that's a really good question. I think that for, okay, one, it, like cultural aspects of biblical womanhood, there's the idea that women are, you know, meant to be wives and to serve their husbands. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an, that's a womanhood thing, quote unquote, um, people talk about that. But even if we're talking about women and like, you know, wanting to be um, for their to be desirable for a spouse. Um, it's a struggle because black women aren't necessarily seen as desirable by black men or white men. Mm. And so, so many of the things that even I'm told about how to uh, carry myself for uh, the eyes of a man, even, like it doesn't make sense either way because no one finds me appealing in general i know that's a that's a overarching and hyperbolic like, statement how but... how dare they <laughs> how dare they <laughs> i know right i know i know how i mean um, i don't even see how that's possible like just go on it's so i think that that's it's hard because odin um, it's okay bud it's okay my my friend's puppy is is staying with jana right now yes yeah, so you and can he hear is, him reeking out he is he's he's really upset that black women are treated this way in the church he is and i appreciate your i appreciate his um his concern yeah so yeah basically i lost my train of thought a little bit but sorry no it is it's just that um being a black woman in the church can be hard and i think that sometimes things that are said to me are really meant to be said to a majority white audience. And so things don't end up applying to me. And then I wonder where I fit. Mm. And that can be, that can be difficult. Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing, I think it was on the witness. It was actually just a comment that somebody had left on an article. And, and I think, you know, like in some of these, conversations i think there are often we find ourselves in these sort of like paradoxical situations right where it's any people group is not a monolith mm -hmm. and at the same time there are some sort of cultural markers or common aspects that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that everybody in that group has them but it does mean that they are sort of common to these um to a particular group and and this right. person was basically saying she she was saying that um she was really frustrated because she felt like a lot of these a lot of black men who had been in these kind of white evangelical sort of spaces mm -hmm. had heard these messages about biblical womanhood and, and biblical manhood and it really kind of resonated with them to the point that 
they were only looking to date white women because they felt like black women wouldn't sub they wouldn't be the submissive housewife they wouldn't yep. you know and mm-hmm. based on again based on the stereotype that black women are are louder and more and angry and, and sassy angry and, and sassy yep. yeah all mm-hmm. that all that stuff and i just yep. remember being like dang that's i mean that's just the yeah the fact that yeah. the church is pushing that is and then i have to be careful of the way that i state my opinions or things that i speak up about because i'm afraid of being dismissed or even just talked down to or spoken to rudely because um, of the, my, the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be vocal about something, I have to make sure that I'm saying it in a way, even, even now, even now I'm thinking of it as I'm talking to you, I'm trying to make sure the way that I say things, how I'm saying them, that if someone were to hear it and know that I'm a black woman, that is in a reform circle that has some type of leadership. I don't want it to get skewed. And I'd be like skewed and all of these different things. I have to think about that. I don't have the luxury of just being able to say certain things and um, automatically receive the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. especially one, just being black, but two, being a woman as well. Um, and so, and that's, and that's frustrating and it's exhausting to have to think, think through those things. And so I think when we're talking about biblical womanhood, again, like you're saying, not one people group isn't a monolith women also aren't we're not monoliths either there's so many different types of women as there are men um and so yeah it's frustrating to have to do that but that's why i really am thankful that we have the example of hagar in scripture who is a woman of color who is the first person to name god and say you are the god who sees Mm -hmm. so if i know that I serve a God who sees, he sees me even if the church at large, other men, other white people, white men, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. they don't see me. I know that the Lord sees me. And so I can be all of who I am struggling and fighting and trying to figure out my voice and be who I am, which is a woman honoring to him, knowing that he sees me, Mm -hmm. um, even if other people don't. And so I have to constantly come back to that because it's It's hard out here. It's, it's hard out here. It's a wild, wild west, Kyle. It's a wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what are some things that, I guess, that you think being a Black woman kind of contributes to your understanding of, of biblical womanhood? Like, what are some things, or even just things that, like you said, you've seen growing up that you're like, okay, when I think of Black women, these are the things that I think they bring to the table in terms of uh, biblical womanhood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see, I see strength. I see honor. I see wisdom. I see um, commitment. I see creativity and ingenuity. Mm. Um, I see empathy um there there there's so there's so many things i think historically being a black woman what our experiences have been to what they are now that have shaped um yeah shaped shaped so many things and so i think that you know that combined with 
the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's a powerhouse. I really do think, um, I look at Exodus and, you know, like that's liberation theology. And I see, um, like freedom and fighting for that. And I realize that I come from a people that fought for their freedom. And I think of black women that had to go through so much, um, from not only white men, but also black men. Um, and recognizing, you know, I mean, I, like just the, the strength and the faith that black women have. Like, look at my mom. My mom loves the Lord. And I think of the way that she grew up and all of these things and what she experienced. And she's one of the strongest believers that I know. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing that that legacy comes, um, comes to the table uh, in terms of being a, a biblical black woman is so, is so exciting. But the thing is, is that we need the space and the opportunity to to have that and to be that um, and to holistically have people experience all that we are. Yeah, which is rarely, if never the case, unfortunately. Right, right. still having to fight for it. Yeah. I had another question and I lost it. I guess, well, and you know, we're, we're coming up to kind of the end here. So I guess I would say to anybody um, who is kind of wrestling with the idea of, of biblical womanhood, who is either, either loves it um, and is kind of like really living into it or somebody who's been harmed by it or somebody who isn't sure what they think, like what are, what are guys, I guess your closing words to people that are kind of wrestling with this and, and this, and this would be like white women, black women, women that are in uh, these sort of spaces talking about biblical womanhood, what would your message to them be? Yeah, I would say that you're not alone. I think that we are all wrestling and struggling in our own way um, in the kingdom of God underneath the smile of the Lord as his children. There mm -hmm. is room to wrestle. Um, there is room to figure it out. Um, though we constantly change and struggle, the Lord doesn't. And so we can, we can rest in that. Uh, we can look to the person of Jesus and see that he is a, is a man that fought for women. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus loves women. Yes, um, he does. Some of my favorite interactions that Jesus has with people are with women or about women um, in scripture. And so I would, yeah, I would say that there's room to wrestle. I would encourage you to continue to wrestle, to continue to figure it out to to go before the Lord and ask him to help you. I don't think that we actively do that enough mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm struggling with this thing. I need to bring it before the Lord and consistently pray about it and seek his face on it. Um, I will also say that if you are trying to figure out what it means to be a woman, um, if you are a woman, then you are a woman. And if you love Jesus and you are trying to live according to the Bible, then you're being a biblical woman like that it there's not a perfect thing to do it because we, we're not perfect yet we haven't arrived right like we are still being sanctified and so um it's a lot of trial and error but there's grace big enough to fill in the gaps there's mercy loud enough to swallow you whole so um yeah keep going and also dm me on instagram and let's chat because i want to figure it out too <laughs> <laughs> if you have answers DM Jaina because she wants them. Yeah, yeah, I want them. Hit me up. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and, and talking about, you know, this topic. It's obviously kind of a fraught one at times. And so I appreciate your just candor and, you know, being willing to talk about these hard things and these for good sure. things at the same time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me kind of, you know, process out loud and sift through all of all of these things. It was listen, fun. Listen, listen, I am a very big uh, external processor. And so yeah. anytime I can give space for an, uh, a fellow out loud thinker, I will do that. I love, I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, Jada, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Everyone. Bye.